Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hello church, I'm Michael, lead pastor here at Salt. Uh, Welcome if you're new, it's great to have you with us. Uh, A huge thing happened this week the Taylor Swift movie was released, yeah? Um, so I heard it was good, and I heard it went for three hours. Um, I only hear these things, right? Because I'm not going to go and see it. But um, let's, let's focus now as we um, come to God's Word. <laughs> what a great transition. Um, Father God, please uh, still our hearts and minds. Uh, help us to listen now to the voice the only voice that really matters in our lives, yours. I thank you that you are a God who speaks, uh, that you've spoken through this book of Titus, uh, written so many years ago. Help us now uh, to see what drives you and your mission. Uh, People coming to faith, growing in knowledge that leads to godliness. And we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, here's the question I want to explore with you tonight. How would you start a church? How would you start a church that grows in number and maturity, uh, that grows in health, so much so that you would say, let's multiply this church, Uh, let's plant other churches like it. Imagine uh, you were left on an island, not a deserted island, but an island full of people, Uh, and you were there to lead or assist growing a church on that island. Uh, Now, have a look uh, at this man here, William Booth. Uh, He's an original hipster uh, from 1870. Uh, He began a mission on an island, the British Isles. He uh, began a mission in the east end of London, And he called his group of Christian followers the Volunteer Army. Uh, He was ridiculed for calling it that. Uh, Even some of the leaders came to him and said, it just just doesn't sound right, we can't call it the Volunteer Army. And so uh, he got a pen, he crossed out the word volunteer and with a stroke of genius wrote the word salvation, salvation army. Uh, and here's, here's the letter that he wrote in 1870 uh, to his followers. We are a salvation people. This is our specialty, getting saved and then getting somebody else saved. We believe in salvation. We believe in the old-fashioned salvation. Uh, we have not developed and improved into any other form of infidelity, nor do we expect to. Ours is the same salvation taught in the Bible, proclaimed by the prophets and the apostles, preached by Luther, Wesley and Whitfield, purchased by the sufferings and agony and blood of the Son of God. We believe the world needs it. This and this alone will set the world right. The worst man that ever walked will go to heaven if he obtains it, and the best man that ever lived will go to hell if he misses it. So publish it abroad. There is a hell, a hell as dark and and terrible as the description given it by the lips of Jesus Christ, the truthful. 
And into that hell men are departing hour by hour, while we eat and drink, sleep and work and rest. Men are going where the worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. So wake up, my brothers, be a salvationist. That's a powerful letter, isn't it? Uh, That's a stirring letter. Uh, There are the strong foundations of the church that we know to this day called the Salvation Army. Uh, There there you see the original priorities of William Booth, the founder. And from 1870 to this day, hundreds of thousands of people have become disciples of Jesus. Thousands of churches have been planted as Salvation Army churches. But here we are, 160 years later, I wonder what William Booth would make of the present Salvation Army. Uh, its priorities, its message, its health. Uh, I reckon there'd be many who would go, we need to get back to those foundations. Because it's so easy, isn't it, for a movement to drift over time. Uh, it's so easy for it to lose its way, to forget its foundations. It's actually easy for a church to lose its way and decline. Uh, we could lose our way and decline. Uh, Earlier this year, uh, we spoke about our new home, our vision to have a place permanent in Wollongong uh, where we can make disciples. And we started to think about what would it look like for us to invest in that now, not just for the next generation, but for the generation after that. But what good would that be if we're not a healthy church? So next six weeks, uh, we're going to listen to what God's got to say in this tiny book of Titus. It is one of the shorter books. Uh, It's actually a double-sided page in my Bible, easy to lose, uh, but that's where we're at. And here's what it's about. This is God's blueprint for what he wants to happen in a fairly ungodly part of the world. Uh, And so this book is going to focus us in on church and its health, uh, focus in on our home life, uh, what goes on at home for us, and then also focus us on our city, the city of Wollongong. Now let's let's get into it. A few things uh, to orientate us. It's called Titus uh, because it's written to Titus, uh, a man who was a co-worker with the Apostle Paul So the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to his co-worker. Titus is not mentioned in the book of Acts, but he's mentioned in a few places in the letters of the New Testament. And what's Paul done? He's left Titus on the island of Crete, which is off Greece. Uh, And you can see this picture here. Uh, Has anyone been to Crete? Okay, it's, it's a beautiful part of the world. But Paul says in chapter 2, it's an incredibly tough place to live. Uh, Paul describes the people of Crete as liars and lazy people. Can you imagine that? There's that island, there they are, they are liars and lazy people. And here is this church that is probably very young. Paul has set Timothy the task of appointing leaders, elders uh, to this church as it begins. So if you were Titus, left by Paul on the island of Crete, 
to see the church grow healthy and strong, what would be your key priorities? That's what this letter is all about. So only four verses tonight, four beautiful verses. Uh, and as we unfold these four verses, uh, we're going to see the themes that develop over the next few weeks and the rest of the book of Titus. So here's the big point of Titus. Paul wants Titus to know it's the gospel of Jesus that will transform the island. It's the gospel of Jesus that will transform the island because it's the gospel of Jesus that will transform the world. And because the gospel will transform the world, Paul has a number of priorities for Titus. Um, So follow them with me. Look firstly at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So here's a man, Paul, uh, full of humility but also authority. He's humble before God. He calls himself a servant and he's bold for God. He's an apostle sent by Jesus. And what's his first priority? His first priority, he wants people to come to faith in Jesus. He wants people to come to faith in Jesus. He wants people to become disciples of Jesus. Uh, That's Paul's priority. That's his job. We saw that in the book of Acts, if you're with us. Uh, he's always been on about that, these things. But look at it with me. There's that phrase in the middle of verse 1. Uh, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect. That kind of sounds, that phrase kind of sounds like he's helping people who already have faith to grow in their faith, to develop their faith. He is doing that. But the original language here actually points us to something else. It's that idea that people who don't know Jesus uh, put their faith in Jesus. Uh, He's furthering that faith, that movement, and that's his first priority. To see God's elect come forward and trust Jesus for the first time. And isn't it awesome when you see someone do that? Uh, Isn't it awesome when you see someone who receives Jesus for the very first time? Isn't it awesome when someone goes, I get it, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness, Jesus, please forgive me. Uh, Jesus, I was running life my way, I thought it was all about me and now I realise you are the King, you are the Lord and I turn to you, now my life is about you, I want to live your way. It's so awesome when someone realises there's no way I can be good enough for you, God, who just casts themselves upon Jesus and prays, God, I am a sinner. I haven't always lived your way. Please forgive me. Thank you so much for taking the punishment that I deserve at the cross. Now I want you to run my life. Uh, And you know, Jesus always answers that prayer with, yes, I forgive you. I died to forgive you. Uh, what, what happens? That person receives the Spirit of God. Their life starts to change. Now there's a new life and a new direction for them. Uh, that becomes obvious. A relationship with God the Father has started. It's a beautiful thing. And Paul wants Titus never to forget that central 
truth, that gospel. Uh, and we, we mustn't forget it either. Have a look in chapter 3. There's a beautiful description of it. Flip over one page if, you, if you're in your Bibles there. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us. How beautiful is that? Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. There's nothing better than when someone gets this central truth. Uh, It's happening to some people who are doing our life series. That's wonderful to see. It's God's work electing people, uh, people that come forward and put their trust in Jesus. When they hear Jesus, when they hear Jesus through you, or they hear of Jesus and what he's done for them here at church, maybe you're hearing it even tonight for the first time and going, that's me. Or hear it at the Life Series on Thursday nights. Or hear it by reading the Bible. Uh, our kids are hearing it at, our, at Salt Kids and Youth on Sunday mornings. God is at work bringing people to faith in Jesus as they hear of Jesus and become disciples. Now, I was just reflecting this weekend um, why I'm feeling so emotionally exhausted. Uh, The last nine days, I've gone to two funerals uh, from our wider family. Uh, And I don't like going to funerals every week, but gee, funerals are so, so helpful. They are so, so good for us. Because what do they do? They remind us that life is incredibly short. Uh, They remind us that our only hope is Jesus. And they also remind us that 100% guaranteed, one day, the funeral that we will attend will be our own. And one day, we will face Jesus as either friend or enemy. 100% guaranteed. So it's incredibly helpful uh, to go to funerals. Uh, But two days ago, so Friday, we went to uh, Natalie's cousin's funeral. And we were, we were quite surprised we, when we heard the news a couple of weeks ago that he had died. Uh, he wasn't that old. And as we came to the funeral, we were really interested to hear what would be said at his eulogy. Uh, because his life, we knew about his life and the way he'd responded, the way he trusted Jesus. All of his life spoke volumes about the kindness of God. Uh, Not because he was a good person. He was far from a good person. Uh, Most of uh, his life, he didn't um, come to our wider family gatherings. Our our kids hardly knew him. Uh, For for many of those family gatherings, he was in jail. Uh, Other times, he was battling alcohol and drug addictions. Uh, He lied, he cheated, he stole from his own family... Uh, Most of his life, he wasn't able to raise uh, his son. 
Uh, there were so many people at the funeral uh, that we knew he had deeply hurt over many years. And yet, at the family gatherings that I reflect on when he came, he was the guy more than anyone else that would come and talk to me about Jesus, the promises of Jesus. And at the funeral, we, we heard how he was so aware that he could not be good enough for God. Uh, he was so aware that he needed the forgiveness of God. And over the years, uh, he was given a Bible and he was given daily Bible notes. And he said uh, that those, his daily reading of the Bible was food for him, uh, was, was food for him. He knew that his only hope was to trust Jesus. He knew, like all of us, that we've got no hope with the Holy God except for Jesus and Jesus' death for us. See, the gospel really is the kindness of God. And Paul wants people to put their trust in Jesus, to get the kindness of God. So I wonder, as you think about that tonight, are you someone who is passionate about people coming to faith in Christ? Uh, Are you someone who's trying to work out how you can play your part in someone coming to faith in Jesus, uh, making that most important decision in all of their life, the most significant relationship they'll ever have, trusting Jesus? It was, it was really, really good to see so many um, of you invite friends to Saltfest uh, events last week. Uh, there are people at Salt starting the journey uh, who came to Saltfest events last week. That's a very, very healthy sign. So Paul wants people to come to faith in Jesus and then he wants people to grow in knowledge uh, or grow in certainty in assurance, in conviction of their faith. Uh, To know the reasons for their faith, not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Uh, Not just the basic facts, but to become more and more mature as disciples of Jesus. There's really uh, nothing sadder than when you see someone who's been a Christian for quite a while and And they are mature in so much knowledge in other areas of life. Uh, A hobby or a sport or their work or their profession. But when it comes to faith in Jesus, they are absolute babies. Uh, When you ask them about their faith, they actually understand very, very little. Uh, It's all a little bit mysterious and mystical. It has no foundation It's like they are little children when it comes to their faith and understanding the Bible. But what's so awesome, isn't it, when people are the reverse. When people who've actually only been Christian for a little while, but every time you see them, they've grown. They've learned something more. They've acknowledged God in a new way. They've got to know their Bibles better and they love God more. They know the truth They can reason the truth. Uh, Or have you noticed this? People who are older, who uh, each year obviously have grown in their faith. They've persisted. And their faith is not just emotional. 
uh, is evidential. And so the Apostle Paul wants faith and knowledge to grow. Uh, That's why we have small groups. Uh, That's why we're stretching one another with Christian books and podcasts. And Paul wants all of this to lead, thirdly, to godliness. So it's not just knowledge for the sake of it. It's knowledge that leads to godliness. See, what's the goal that Paul has here? It's God's goal. It's that more and more and more you might become like the person of Jesus. That more and more and more you might love the things that Jesus loves. And more and more and more you might hate the things that Jesus hates. This is, this is a huge theme in Titus. You'll see it repeated over and over again that we've even called our series Saved for Good. So saved forever, but also saved for the purpose of doing good, of living a good life, of living a godly life. See, that's what knowledge should do. It should transform the way you live, transform the person you are. Paul wants the believers to live godly lives, good lives, healthy, have a healthy faith. And it's even more important, isn't it? Because there they are on the island of Crete, which is a particularly ungodly place. And so he wants Jesus' disciples to stand out. He wants people to go, wow, those guys are different. That is profoundly different. He wants their lives to point to Jesus, to commend the gospel, so that more people might have faith in Jesus. More people might grow in knowledge that leads to godliness. Uh, one of the commentaries I was reading uh, was, is by a guy called John Stott. Uh, he's an old Englishman who's no longer alive, but he, he has this line. He says, if your faith and knowledge don't lead to godliness, your faith is bogus. I just love the word bogus. We don't use that word. It's useless, it's pointless, it's false. It's a great warning to us, isn't it? Your knowledge needs to lead to godliness. It needs to lead to a changed life. Uh, If God is now indwelling you by his Holy Spirit, you should expect transformation. Great transformation. How does that happen? Well, it's it's a supernatural work, isn't it? Uh, We'll see this as we go through Titus. God is working by his Spirit, overcoming our natural sinful inclinations But he's also moving us to take responsibility, to act, to live differently, to respond to Jesus, to repent of sin uh, and also help others on that journey as well. So can you see what Paul's committed to? He wants people to have faith in Jesus. He wants them to have great conviction as they grow in knowledge and he wants them to live a godly life. And God is doing all of this behind the scenes, bringing people to faith, growing them in knowledge that leads to to godliness. And that's what we are to seek as well. In fact, have a look at our, our vision for salt, our prayer. Our prayer is to see a flood of lifelong disciples in Wollongong and beyond. And I reckon, as I reflected on that this week, I reckon what Paul's done here is break that down for us. What does that mean? Well, it means we want people to come to faith in Jesus 
We want them to grow then in certainty and conviction. We want them to become more and more mature, evidenced by, what's the end point? That they might live a godly life. They might be lifelong disciples who are mature, who've come to faith, who grow in maturity and are, and are useful uh, to God's work. So that's, that's what we're committed to as pastors, as, as a staff team. But it's actually all of us that are part of that, isn't it? That's what God is committed to. That's what church is all about. That's what mission is all about. And that's what he's called us to. And so as you think about that tonight, how could you help someone take the next step to faith in Jesus? How could you help someone take the next step of maturity and the next step to godliness of life? Isn't that an awesome privilege to think about that? The, the way you live, the way you speak, your influence could help someone come to faith, could help someone grow in maturity to be more godly, to move them to a position of assurance, of certainty, um, to move them to godliness and usefulness. There is, there is the most important thing you'll do all week. There is Paul's big priority. That's what he's modelling to Titus. There's, there's the, the, uh, the trick to growing a healthy church that stays on track. Well, that's, all ver- that's, that's just verse 1, right? It's massive. Uh, but let's have a look at verse 2 and 3 before I wrap up. Because 2 and 3 have got something important to tell us. It says... All of this, all of what Paul has just said, all of what we've just spoken about, is undergirded by the hope of eternal life. Uh, not hope in the worldly sense, but hope in the Christian biblical sense, which is the certainty of, the certainty of eternal life. That is when someone comes to faith in Jesus, grows in maturity, uh, becomes more godly, under all of this is the certainty of eternal life. Look at it with me in verse 2. All that Paul said now rests, verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. See there, two solid reasons why eternal life is not a pipe dream. Firstly, it comes from God who does not lie. Literally, the, the phrase is, the unlying God has promised eternal life. Now, there they are on Crete, which is full of liars. We are people who lie. But Paul is saying, God never lies. And so, eternal life is real. Eternal life is promised. It's not a vague hope. It's a certain expectation. It's our assurance. It's a conviction promised by God. One of the Bible readings at the funeral on Friday is one of my favourites. Uh, and it's the, it's the Bible reading I want read at my funeral, if you're taking notes. Um, but here's what Jesus says, John 14, before he leaves for the cross to his disciples who are obviously feeling anxious. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the, the way to the place where I'm going. Then Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not only does God promise it in verse 3, but notice he says eternal life will be revealed. It's actually being revealed in this present time. And how does God reveal eternal life? How does he let the world know that eternal life's on offer? Uh, if you were with us in the, in the series on Acts, you'd say it's the resurrection of Jesus, wouldn't you? There is a sh- sure sign that, that eternal life is now on offer. But Paul doesn't say that. He says in verse 3, the promise of eternal life is going to be revealed by preaching, by announcing, by telling by proclaiming. Uh, it's actually it's what's going on at this very moment. It's what goes on at our life series. It's what goes on at, in our small groups, the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus. It's what happens in our in kids' ministry and youth ministry. It's what you do over a coffee with a friend when you tell them the good news of Jesus. It's, it's the lifeblood of a healthy church that it is proclaimed, that it is spoken. Well, as we finish up tonight, what have we seen? God is at work. He's bringing people to faith, to knowledge that leads to godliness. That's God's passion. That's Paul's passion. That's what he wants to pass on to Titus. But you could, you could think to yourself tonight, isn't this letter written to pastors, to leaders? I'm not leading a church. And so what does it matter to me, maybe you're sitting there thinking, this is a little bit detached from me. But here's what I want to say to you. The shift in your life from faith to knowledge onto godliness and the hope of eternal life and the shift uh, in the life of your friends and the shift in your life, in the life of your family or your children, if you've got children, depends so much on the local church. Depends, if you're part of this church, depends on what goes on here at Salt Church. Uh, That's why Titus is going to be so helpful for us. The health of church has a massive impact on our lives. Uh, And whether our friends and our family, our community, our city, makes progress to faith in Christ, to maturity, to godliness. The church is God's number one priority. Um, I'm sure you've been watching with me uh, the news, the sad news of what's going on in the Middle East, uh, that unfolding agony of war and people dying, uh, how awful it is and how, how important that is and how important that it is to pray f- for those people and what's going on there. But ultimately, that matters because faith in Jesus matters. In the end, God is concerned about what is going on in the local church because he knows that's for eternity. I read this quote this week from C.S. Lewis. He said, The church 
outlasts the universe. That is profound, isn't it? And it just says to us, this is massive. This is so important. This is the changing of lives for eternity. This is what God's passionate about. And so I'm going to pray now as we think about these, these things, as we get this passion of Paul, as we pray for our church uh, to have this passion too. So let's pray.